Hey, everybody. I want to welcome you again to the Before You Quit podcast, where we want to bring courage and perspective when serving gets hard. And man, does it get hard. That's why we do what we do on these podcast episodes. My name is Mitch Schultz, and I am your host. I'm also the director of a ministry called Fruitful Vine Ministry. Well, this is the first podcast for 2024, and I think a great way to start the year, I'm interviewing Ken Sand, who you might know, uh, very rather well-known in the whole uh, peacemaking ministry. Uh, he's the author of the Peacemaker book and uh, is involved in, in uh, reconciliation and mediation and uh, conflict, uh, biblical conflict resolution. Uh, I interviewed him twice years ago on, on those topics, but what we're going to do today is a little unique. He tells the story of his own father coming to faith on his deathbed. His dad was a judge and was never open to the gospel, uh, but because of what he saw in his family and eventually because of the Lord taking a hold of his life, he came to faith. And, and Ken tells that story, and also as we discuss that uh, just great experience, he, he talks about the power of, uh, of bringing glory to God through the gospel. And so we're just going to go go ahead and jump into that right now. I think you'll be fascinated and encouraged. I think this is a great way to start uh, 2024, particularly if you're burdened uh, for someone who does not yet know the Lord. Uh, this will give you hope and encouragement. So let's jump in. Okay, well, I have on the other end here of my screen, uh, Ken Sand. Ken, thank you for being part of this podcast. Happy to be here. Thank you so much, Mitch. I have interviewed you twice before on the whole topic of peacemaking. Mm -hmm. uh, that that name is uh, associated with you quite strongly, isn't it? <laughs> it <laughs> there's is. the peacemaker. I, I, there's the peacemaker. <laughs> yeah. There's worse things to be identified with. I'm yeah, angry, yeah. That's, that's mine. Yeah. Well, I guess you can either be a troublemaker or a peacemaker in life. Um, sure. but, uh, but this has been your ministry. Uh, you've written a book on it. You are, I think, fairly well known in this field and have been used in an amazing way. Uh, but we're, we're going to be talking about uh, a story that's very personal to you of how your, your own father uh, came to faith at his deathbed. And, and so when we talk about the peace that comes from the gospel, that is probably the, the, the story that you celebrate more than any other story that uh, involves your, your life and your ministry. Uh, but before that, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, Again, it's been about four or five years since we did a podcast. People can go back and listen to that. But what? Uh, tell us your what you do. What are you passionate about? Yeah, quick recap. Born and raised in Montana, sort of a cowboy macho culture. Um, had a fascination with law from or with engineering initially. I like to see how things work, so I pursued a uh, a career in mechanical engineering, doing medical research and development work on uh, artificial kidney machines. Love that, but I was working in a, a very large metro area and I just, I missed Montana. So I ended up coming back to Montana. Uh, my father and my brother both were lawyers. My dad eventually a judge. So I've been around the legal profession and thought, well, that might be an interesting thing to pursue. So I got a law degree mm. and um and anticipated doing something like patent work or products liability or something. But right out of law school, the Lord led me to a concept called Christian conciliation. It was a new program being pioneered by the Christian Legal Society, basically biblically based mediation and arbitration of lawsuits between Christians. 
And so I uh, jumped into that pretty early, started a ministry that grew into an organization called Peacemaker Ministries, which ended up having a, a global network of trained mediators all around the world. Uh, eventually, I wrote a book called The Peacemaker, and that's now, I think, over 500,000 copies in circulation in 20 different languages. And it, it just shows the universality of biblical mm-hmm. truth and biblical wisdom. Um, and it shows how broken the world is, isn't it? It, it, it is. is. This it, resonates it with, yeah. Yeah, we, we all long for peace. We all long for peace. Um, Jesus, you know, our, our Lord, he came to guide our feet into paths of peace. It's the essence of his ministry, peace with God and peace with each other. Um, but after about 30 years of putting out the fires of conflict, so to speak, um, <clears throat> in 2012, I thought, you know, I think I'd rather start focusing more on preventing the fires of mm. conflict. I'd rather prevent a fire than put it out and deal with the smoke damage. And so in 2012, I stepped down from Peacemaker Ministries and launched a new ministry called Relational Wisdom 360, or just RW360. And our focus was developing a new training paradigm that um, took the the best information we now have about how the human brain works on our emotions, a concept called emotional intelligence. How well do we Mm -hmm. read our emotions and manage them? How well do we read the emotions of others and manage those? There's a lot of outstanding information out there now that we understand more how our emotions behave. But I just found that none of the training that was available came at the subject from a biblical worldview. And and so I basically started developing a, a theologically grounded form of relational wisdom or emotional intelligence. And the term we use is relational wisdom. It combines the neurology of emotions with good theology of our relationship with God, the fall, redemption, and all those things. So we are now in the process of integrating all of the peacemaking mediation training that I've developed over the years with emotional intelligence, relationalism thing for a whole new generation of training resources, ideally helping people to prevent conflict, but when it does come up to resolve it in a way that's gospel-centered, redemptive, and focuses on how do, how do people grow through conflict and actually strengthen relationship. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Because conflict, conflict is not bad. It's it's what you do with it. Yeah. And those two pieces, the peacemaking and relational wisdom uh, were the two things that we, we covered in the previous podcast. Um, Well, yeah, thanks. Thanks for sharing that. And we'll put those links back up so people can go back and listen to those. So a lot of, a lot of what um, we're going to, the questions I'm asking and the interest for this came out of a, a video that you put out where you speak about your your dad and and how he came to faith and in, in his last moments, you you set it up beautifully. And and again, I'm seeing how uh, wonderfully everything that you're passionate about and called to uh, was was brought into that story. But you you in this message, you talk about uh, God's glory and the peace that that provides in relationships and you quote glory to God in the highest and peace on earth. So share a little bit about that and then how that was important and oh, uh, you know, how you prepared to tell the story of your father. Sure. And the, uh, I gave that, that message on Christmas Eve. So mm-hmm. glory to God in the highest and peace on earth, goodwill toward men was a very key verse. Cause of course the angels, that was what the angels said the, mm-hmm. the night Jesus was born. But yeah, the background story there is, um, 
I was raised in a, a Christian home. My mom was a very committed Christian, a lovely person. And so I had a Christian upbringing. My dad was not a believer uh, during most of my, my life. And, um, but he was a very wonderful, kind, gracious, thoughtful man. And we had a very close relationship. Um, when I, uh, just before I came to law school is where I really got serious in my faith. I can't point to a day that I know that's the day I was converted. I had the knowledge for all the way from my teen, well, youngest years, but it was just for law school that the gospel suddenly really became very clear to me. And so it was during law school, I was growing tremendously in my faith. And when I came home, I moved back to Billings, Montana, where my folks were living. And um, because I very quickly decided to launch a ministry instead of accepting a, a job offer at a firm here, uh, I had no income. So I was living at home mm -hmm. with my folks, which was great because we got along well. And um, But one of the problems was I was determined to drag my father into the kingdom of God, whether yeah. he wanted to be or not. <laughs> And uh, boy, mm. I was I was pushy. I was argumentative. I not at all doing it the way that I would recommend today. My dad was so patient with me, Mitch. He was so kind, and he loved to, he loved to debate. He was a lawyer, so he had all these questions and opposition. And one of the things I remember was a day we got into a discussion that turned into an argument, and I got frustrated and spoke disrespectfully. And I went down to my bedroom. And I was talking to God. I said, okay, Lord, I know that wasn't respectful. and I'm not honoring my dad. I know that was wrong. And I should go up there and confess. But if I do that, I, he, he's just going to think I, I'm a fool. And I didn't hear an audible voice, but a very strong thought came to my mind as though God was speaking to me. And basically it was, Ken, your dad already knows you're a fool. That's been very apparent. <laughs> <laughs> Does he know that I am real and I am in you and I'm working to change you? And that was just such a humbling thought. Mm. It, it mm. wasn't wasn't persuading my dad of my arguments. It was allowing Christ's redeeming, transforming grace to work in me in such a way that my dad would just have to realize mm. there is a God. Mm. And God gave me the grace mm. to go back upstairs and confess to my dad. And even though I thought this is going to diminish my witness, it actually definitely improved my witness. God was mm. seeing in his son the transforming power of Christ. And over the next few years, as I was more and more humble, more gracious, more Christ-like in my demeanor, my dad had to realize there was something noticeable changing in me. And I kept giving the credit to God. And he was having a harder and harder time resisting it. Mm. But then the other thing that happened, Mitch, was in the morning, I would get up and be going out to do a mediation a lawsuit, a divorce case, a child custody case. And my dad always asked me what I was going to do for the day. And and uh, I told him and he said, listen, son, I've seen 100 cases like that. You know, I've been a judge for years and I can just tell you're wasting your time. It's not going to it's not going to be resolved. And I mm. said, well, I got nothing else to do. So I go out and <laughs> come home. <laughs> and mm. day after day, I come home, be having dinner with my folks. And my dad would say, well, what happened in that case? And I would very frequently describe amazing reconciliations where parties were confessing sin, making restitution, being reconciled. And at first, my dad's response was, well, there's a few flukes now and then. <laughs> but he started noticing that there were a lot of flukes. I mean, they, mm. he was bucking the odds, bucking the odds. 
And one night I came home, it was a long mediation. We didn't want to lose momentum. We went all the way till midnight for a really wonderful reconciliation. When I got home, my dad was waiting up for me. It was like high school, <laughs> but for a whole different reason. I walked through the door. He was sitting in the living room. He stood up and he looked at me and he said, what happened? It's, it's like you at what question you asked when you're, you're, favorite team has been playing in the Super Bowl. You couldn't watch it yourself, but you want to, you expect yeah. a good, good report. My dad was, was sensing a supernatural power, supernatural power. Um, no question about it, but he didn't feel worthy of it himself, his own guilt of his own sin and those things. Mm. He had a drinking problem for many years. And so it was not long after that, when he, he was on his deathbed from heart and kidney issues I was in the hospital with the rest of my family, and I just wanted so much to get confirmation that he had trusted in Christ. And he had softened very much, but I'd never really seen a, a specific, you know, trusting in Jesus. And so I just said, I was trying to start a conversation, and I just said something. I was sitting on his bed right next to him. I said, Dad, I love you so much. You were such a wonderful father. And those are the words that the Lord used to pierce my dad's heart. Wow. And he, he got tears in his eyes and he said, no, I wasn't. I wasn't mm. a good father. And all of his, all of his sins and failures were right there in front of him. He knew mm. that he had been drinking and he'd neglected at times and failed at times. And it was just, it was just open the door. I said, but dad, yes, I know I've sinned. You've sinned. Everybody has, but that's the wonderful news of the gospel is Jesus is offering his forgiveness and his grace and his love and to cover over and pay the price for all of your sins. And my dad said, it just sounds too good to be true. Mm, <laughs> he mm. said, you're, you're right. <laughs> uh, it, it does sound too good to be true, but it is, it is, it is true. And he said, what do I do? And mm. in fact, he actually said, but there's no time for me to do any good. I said, that's the amazing thing about the gospel, dad. You don't have to do one yeah. single good yeah. deed. And he said, what do I do? And I said, would you want to pray? He said, yes, I do. And I led him through a prayer. My dad prayed with deep sincerity. You could see from his countenance a peace that came over him. And for the next hour, he was he was just calm. He was peaceful. And 60 minutes later, he was. Wow. He was with Jesus. Mm. Today you and will the, be with me in paradise. Yeah. And the irony <laughs> The irony is, you know, my brother, my sister, my mom, and I were all Christians. My dad was the last of us to become a Christian, but he met Jesus first. <laughs> mm, yeah, yeah, that's amazing. I love that. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. So, well, but as, let, me, let, me, let me tie this yeah. into the glory and God thing, yes. back to your question, is the, the way I look at this is there's a link. When God is glorified, reflected in our lives, when people look at us and say, wow, there is something special, something desirable, something even supernatural in you. When, when the, it's like Moses coming off the mountain. When there is a glow of God's grace and love and transforming power in our lives, when God is glorified, his excellence is revealed and, and highlighted, that's when there's peace among people. That's what God used to bring my dad to a reconciled relationship with Christ. And so the relationships we have, and it works the other way around, when we are living out reconciled relationships, 
forgiving people, confessing our sin, working through conflict. That's where God's glory is revealed in us because that's mm-hmm. the character of Christ. He came to lead our feet onto a path of peace to give us a ministry of reconciliation. So when we're living relationally with other people in a way that reflects the grace and love and forgiveness of Christ, it glorifies God because it shows him we're like mirrors reflecting God's mm-hmm. glory, the radiance of his goodness into the lives of other people. And that's what often will draw people to Christ is when they see Christ reflected in our relationships. So there's direct relationship when we are living out the gospel in our lives, God will be glorified as people put their trust in him. If, if families don't have that environment where you modeled that, that love, that patience, and they recognize maybe midstream that it's, it's a deterrent to maybe someone that they care about, how does that change? Um, you know, because I, what, what I'm hearing you say is what was powerful in your dad eventually coming to Christ. Uh, what led up to that was something irresistible in yeah. what he saw in you, what he saw in the family. Um, you know, I do a lot of counseling. I see a lot of brokenness in, uh, in cre- even in Christian families. Mm-hmm. And I always talk about the gospel. You know, the motivation here is the gospel. Uh, how, how do you reflect on that? So where the story is different than, than your story and where possibly because of that, that deathbed confession might not happen. Yeah. Well, for one thing, we have to always remember that it's ultimately not up to us. It, it's yes. God. He's the one yeah. that opens people's hearts. We are often the channels of his grace into people's lives by, you know, we, it's like Romans says, how can they believe if they do not hear? So sometimes In fact, usually somebody has to proclaim the gospel or explain the gospel. But I found in most cases, as a prelude to that, we need to live the gospel. People Mm -hmm. need to see that in us. And so I would say in a family where where God has not been the the dominant factor there, where people have not lived lives honoring to him, um, is first of all, is, is get yourself right with the Lord. In, mm-hmm. in your own relationship, come clean with him, confess those things, believing that, as First John says, when we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us and cleanse us. So get right with God yourself first. If you're a parent, for example, or even a child in a family and, and other members are not believers, first of all, just draw near to God, believe the good news of the gospel and soak in it. Just soak mm-hmm. in it and delight mm-hmm. in it and relish it. So it, it just has a cleansing effect in your own conscience. It, it should wash away our guilt and shame, wash away our guilt and shame. And that's a matter of faith. It, it, you know, some people say, oh, God can never forgive this from such a terrible person. That's basically saying the, the Bible's not true. So believe it. It says he washed us away, separated our sins as far as east from the west, and let a peace start to emanate from you. Um, it's sort of a related thing, uh, Mitch. I was talking to a woman from Nepal one time. She was born into a very high Brahmin family in the Hindu faith, somehow became a Christian at, at a, in her teen years and became a vibrant believer and led many people in, in her, her community, her area to Christ. And the main, her main testimony was she walked around and she was smiling. <laughs> she was happy. She was filled with joy. 
And if you know anything about the Hindu relationship, it is a or religion. It's a fearful religion. You're, mm. you're so afraid of doing one bad thing, going down another level in the reincarnation cycle. So there's this fear, this guilt, this shame, this tension. Everybody lives under that. And when she would walk around radiating joy and peace and smiling, people would come up and say, how do you do that? What, what's happening? What's your secret? And that's where she would proclaim Christ. So in our lives, we should be radiating peace, love, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness. I mean, the fruit of the Spirit. If it's, if it's just yeah. hanging from our branches, people can, can eventually see that. And yeah. so I would always say, if, if you've led a pretty ungodly life for a while, take some time for God to help you grow in grace, move down that transformation road a bit. But then at some point, just pray also God would open the door for you to share your faith. And if you pray for that, you may have, for example, you might be an adult child and your father who's in his 60s doesn't know the Lord. That might be your scenario. Just pray that, number one, God would be working in you, that your father could see the transforming work of Christ in your life. Pray the Holy Spirit would open his eyes to see that and start to hunger and thirst for it. And then for that father to at some point just make some comment that would tell you the door latch was just opened and the door has been cracked. And yeah. it could be something yeah. like, well, That's it's powerful. easy for you. You're living a good life, but that can never happen to me. Oh, mm -hmm. <laughs> there's your opportunity. And yeah. I, I think if your ears are open and you're praying for that, the Holy Spirit in his grace and mercy may open that parent's heart. Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking how easy it is. I even reflect on my own family uh, to, to let your guard down at home. You know, you work harder at being a witness and being yeah. a model, show love of Christ. But at, at home, we we tend to, uh, you know, let our hair down, uh, drop our guard and we, we can be sloppy in these things. Um, but it sounds like what you're encouraging is that there needs to be the highest intensity of Yep. of modeling the love of Christ is in the yep. home. Yep. And uh, the, the people we have access to the most are those closest to us. That's right. That's right. Um, and, and particularly where, where I mean, at every family, and I'm seeing this more and more, maybe it's because I'm getting older uh, or it's because the world is just getting harder for, for people to, uh, you know, maintain their Christian faith. But, uh, uh, you know, the last two to three years is, probably first time I mentioned this in a podcast, uh, my, my son has walked away from his faith mm. and he comes home a lot. And when he's home, I really think uh, one guy refers to it as a faith sanctuary. You know, he's in the world, comes home here. He's reminded of the gospel. Uh, I call it a wall of righteousness. It, it's every time he's here, it's like, Oh, this is the gospel. This is what I grew up as. And uh, so what, what encouragement can you give to families, you know, from your story, from what you see in scripture, and again, just the nature of the gospel, uh, where there's just a deep heaviness over a family member who's not a believer. It might not be someone like your dad. It might be a godly dad burden for, for his son. Yeah. yeah. You know, I, I, and anytime I hear a story like that, Mitch, I always encourage people to get uh, Jack and Barbara Miller's book, Come Back Barbara. Mm. It is a marvel. It 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 is so helpful. Um, Jack Miller was a very well known pastor. Wrote books. He was quite uh, quite well known. 
Uh, his daughter, Barbara, up until age 18, was like the ideal pastor's daughter. She mm-hmm. uh, brought people to youth group and shared the gospel. But at 18, when she went off to college, it's like a total 180. She just went off off on a tangent and just like went in the absolute opposite direction. And at one point, she was living with a drug lord who had um, henchmen guarding his mansion with machine guns. I mean, that mm, that is mm. how bad this went. And yet the Lord in his mercy kept drawing her back to her parents' house to visit them. And she would come home. And the neat thing about the book is it's written in short little chapters, just some of them, just three or four pages. Jack describes a period like her youth, what he saw. Mm-hmm. And then Barbara writes a chapter of what wow. was really going on. So you see oh, that. Oh, interesting. Dad mm. writes so good. And so she was putting on a show when she was young. She was doing what everyone wanted, et cetera. But the neat thing is it shows the progression over a 10-year period and where she would come home. And uh, and Jack was so concerned about her dying and, and going to hell that every time she came home, he shared the gospel. And in retrospect, he realizes he was too aggressive. Mm-hmm. And um, you got to be sensitive to when the moment is right. Yeah. And she would often explode, get mad and storm away and then drive away. They wouldn't see her for months. Well, after about 10 years, the, the Lord was just trying to push down on Barbara. She, she was miserable in her sin. And that'd be one thing I would pray. I, I pray uh, um, Psalm 32, Lord, make this person miserable, sap yeah. their strength, make their bones ache, just give them no satisfaction in the world. And so she comes home and Jack does his thing, shares the gospel, mm-hmm. Barbara gets upset. She and her new boyfriend, her living boyfriend leave and they're driving back where they live. And she's going on and on about her parents. Well, God worked through her boyfriend and he finally turned to her and in some pretty coarse language said, Barbara, Shut the blank up. <laughs> I, I'm so sick and tired of hearing you listen to everybody. You know, blame everybody else. Your parents are the nicest people I've ever met. In my mm, time. I wish I had mm. parents like that. You and he just basically wow. let her have it. And that was a surpriser. So she gets home, and the Lord just, you know, the Lord takes our words and he just propels them into people's hearts when he wants yeah. to. And she just came under this deep conviction, and it was Christmas time. And everywhere she went. There was Christmas carols and all the memories of her youth and Christmas and church and Jesus. The end of the book is so powerful, Mitch, because she describes where she just feels Jesus is holding his arms out wide to her. And she just says, I can't Mm. resist you anymore. I can't. She comes back. (laughs) Well, she now works as a Christian book editor. Her husband is a pastor. They've got one. I mean, Oh, wow. Total redemption story. But the key to it is this. Her mom and her dad, I asked Barbara one time, what was the key? And she said, even though my parents came on too strong sometimes, and he was doing a work in them. That's a neat thing. Jack describes Mm -hmm. how God's working him. But the door was never closed. Yeah. It was always open, even when she sometimes left in a huff. So I think you always want to leave the door open. And the verse I come back to again and again, and it guided us through some tough spots in our family, is Romans, I think it's 2-4, it's 2-4, two, I think it's 2-4. Do you not know that the it's the kindness of God that leads you to repentance? Exactly, yes. And just uh, kindness over yeah. years after year is pretty hard to resist. Yeah, and, and that kindness is expressed through the body, through the family. Yeah. 
Yeah. And and how do we know God is kind? Well, in large part by what we see in yeah. in each other. Yeah, yeah, you you talk a lot about the power of conversation uh, in the family. Uh, that your your dad seemed to observe this, and and I think it, it might have been something else I was reading that you wrote, but uh, uh, just the, the kind of questions you ask each other in the family. Uh, talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I I have found that a lot of conversation within a family, or even if you've got other people into your home, tends to be pretty superficial. Hey, yeah. how you doing? How's your golf game? Sure, nice weather we're having. Where are you going to go vacation this summer? And, and there's a place for that conversation, just sort of light, casual conversation that it sort of, you know, puts people at ease. But I, I find if we learn how to ask deeper questions at the appropriate time, mm-hmm. and we do this when we have people in from church, we often invite visitors into our home or, or other members for churches get to know them. And we'll have casual conversation for a little while. But then once I sense that people are sort of relaxing, mm-hmm. I'll, tr- I'll try to ask another question that will take people deeper. For example, if I've got a, a family, maybe a husband, a wife, and a couple of kids sitting at my table, I'll eventually say to the couple, I'll say, tell me something. I'm curious. When you started dating years ago, what was the character quality you saw in the other person that made you mm. think this could be the one? Yeah. And nobody asked that kind of question. Yeah. And it's so neat because quite often they will say things that they haven't said to each other for years. You know, she she might say that he, you know, John was just clearly so strong in his faith. I saw how loving he was to his mother. And I'd always heard that a man will treat his wife the way he treated his mother. I just saw kindness and gentleness in him. And he's sitting there, his eyes are big. Mm-hmm. But she hasn't mm-hmm. said that to him in years. Wow. I'll, I'll wow. say to the kids, I'll say to a, a little 12-year-old, I'll say, Becky, what are some qualities in your mother that you would like to have when you grow up mm-hmm. and you're an adult? Mm-hmm. And this little 12-year-old who probably hasn't specifically given her mother feedback, yeah. will think for a minute and say, oh, my mom is so kind and so thoughtful mm-hmm. with other mm-hmm. people. And what you're dealing with, you're tapping into emotion. Um, if, if you ask people where they go on vacation, you're getting facts. We're going to go. Mm-hmm. Remember, when you ask those kind of questions, you're tapping into emotion that is building bonds between people. There's a there's a blog on our website called Tell Me Your Story, and there's a hundred questions like that, hundred questions like that that we just we can ask people to go deeper in our conversations. Oh, I love that. Okay, I'll I'll include that in the in the website uh, yeah. content. Uh, yeah, I mean, these are, it's fascinating how, you know, you told the story about your dad, uh, but in doing so, you know, provided a, an encouragement uh, to all of us to, uh, to, to live out the gospel, to, to speak the gospel. And uh, again, we don't know what the outcome will be. It might not be the same story you experienced um, but again, it's a, you, you hit it on the head. It's, it's God's responsibility to save people. And, um, and when it's irresistible, they will respond to him as was the case with, with Barbara. Um, but as we, as we train, as we kind of wrap up here, um, I, I, I love to remind people of the gospel. I think we need to be reflecting on the gospel every day. Uh, take a minute or two and, and just explain to us what the gospel is and then maybe tie that into, uh, you know, the glory of God or peace, uh, glory to God in the highest peace on earth. 
Because yeah. it's that gospel that brings about peace where there's it fracture, is. where there's brokenness. It is. You know, let, let me answer that question by by just describing a new resource we just released uh, three weeks ago, Mitch, that is exactly designed for that. Uh, it's a little uh, pamphlet, fits in an envelope, and it's just called Transformed is the title to it. And it sets forth the gospel. The first part of it is just a very simple, clear gospel presentation. The gospel is the good news that even though we deserve eternal separation from a holy God, he loves us so much that he sent his son into the world to take all of our sins on his shoulders, pay the price in full. He died to pay that price. He was resurrected from the grave to give us new life. And anybody who believes that message instantaneously at that mm -hmm. moment has their sins washed away and is adopted into the family of God as a dearly loved child. So that's, mm -hmm. that's the simple gospel. But there's implications of the gospel. One of those is that as we experience that reconciliation with God, he calls us to be ambassadors of reconciliation, to be part of sharing that message with other people. And that's 2 Corinthians 5. He, he reconciled us through Christ, and he's called us to the ministry of reconciliation. So that's the message, the first part of this little pamphlet. But then what it includes when you open it up, there's a chart, and it's got 12 different life situations, you know, just in normal day-to-day -day life, or when somebody has offended me, or when I know I'm wrong, there's 12 different, you know, different life settings. And then there's another column that says, apart from the gospel, this is how I behave. So in mm. normal day-to-day -day life, mm. apart from the gospel, I'm consumed with my own agenda, my own uh, self-righteousness, making myself look good and doing what is fun for me. But then there's a third column, transformed by the gospel, this said, is what my life is like. My my greatest joy is delighting in Christ and serving others. Mm. And you go down for 12 different scenarios, apart from the gospel, transformed by the gospel. And there's two things that chart does. For a believer, when you look at that, everyone I know so far has looked at believers has said, whoa, mm. this is like God gave me this bank account that's got a million dollars in it. I've only drawn out $10. There is a transforming mm. power available to me to transform my life so much more. My temper, my anger, my selfishness, my lust, my material. God wants to deliver me from those things. And I, I've just, you know, I came into the kingdom through the gospel, but I've been coasting. And I want to yeah. appropriate that transforming power. I want to be the person in the third column. Yeah. Gentle, kind, forgiving, patient, initiating reconciliation. So in terms of, of, of spurring us on in sanctification, a believer can use that. And there's actually a Bible study you can download that has all the scriptures laid out. So you could do this mm -hmm. in a, as a discipleship tool. But the other reason this is so handy, Mitch, is for sharing the gospel. Yeah. Because I, I think any, number one, is a very simple, clear explanation of the gospel. But then you look at this chart, any normal human being, even, even someone who's not a Christian, who looks at that chart would, would absolutely say, would I prefer to be the person in the yeah, yeah. Or the other one. And what it does, it actually reveals it's not, you know, the gospel is not just getting a ticket to heaven, which of course is huge, but it is about a transformed life today. Yeah. Yeah. Healthier Amen. relationships, forgiveness, gentleness, patience, kindness, reconciliation. And I think I, the thing I love about the pamphlet is 
it creates a picture of what a redeemed child of God looks like. And I think any normal human being would, I mean, if I'd had this in my dad, my dad would have definitely looked at that third column and said, mm. in fact, he did. One day he came into my office <laughs> and, and we were just chatting. He loved to stop by and we were talking about faith and everything else. And he said, Ken, if the, and he reached over to my desk and there's a, it's an oak desk and it had sort of a, like a knot, you know, an oak knot. And he mm. said, if there was a button and I could just push it and have what you have, of course I would push it. Wow. Only an idiot would not push that. Mm. And we, anybody would want that life. So I just want yeah. to encourage people to, um, if you go to our website, Mitch, and you go to our bookstore, you'll see that pamphlet there if you want yeah. to make a link to it. But I, I now leave that. The other way we you can use that is we're encouraging Christians in the workplace just to take some to work, put it on the corner of your desk, when a coworker comes in, it's the cover is really striking. Mm-hmm. You know, a coworker would say, "Well, what's that?" And you just say, "Oh, that that just describes the power that totally changed my life." You can take mm. it, and if they take it, they've walked out of your room holding yeah. the gospel. Yeah, and then wow. you reach in your you reach in your desk, take out another pamphlet, put it in the corner of your desk, and pray for God to bring another curious coworker into your. Yeah, into your oh, I love it. I love yeah. it. Yeah, Very and someone someone whose life the Lord's been already working and yeah. you're a pivotal part of that. Yeah. I mean, to wrap this up, I, I was thinking how there's, there's really, there's two ways to live. You live for yourself or you live for Christ yeah. and there's two ways to die. You either die and you're with Christ or you die without Christ. And why would you not want this, this beauty of the gospel? And that's what brings glory, glory to God in the highest Amen. Uh, well, Ken, um, I always ask people to at the end here if you were to if you were interviewing me on this subject or any subject, what question would you ask me? You know, I love to ask people to describe an egg in their life. It's like a mystery <laughs> hunt, and an egg is an evidence of God's grace. Uh, and and we should every day. That's one of the questions I will ask at our at our table. Mm is describe to me uh, an egg, go on an egg hunt. What's an evidence of God's grace in your family in the last week or month or this year? And we should be seeing those things and sharing them all the time. That's how you glorify God is say, hey, guess what God did in my life? So what's what's an evidence of God's grace in your life in in recent days? Yeah. Yeah, great question. I love that. Uh, Well, we we, uh, I've talked about this in the podcast a good bit, but this will probably be the first time you hear this, obviously. But uh, 20, 24 years ago, my we were uh, missionaries in Europe and my wife uh, unexpectedly fell into a coma with uh, with a brain tumor and had surgery just to save her life. And we had to come home. She was in a coma for about a month afterwards. And uh, we came home here to Tacoa, Georgia, where we live now, and uh, she had to relearn everything. Two weeks after that, my oldest son was diagnosed with brain cancer, completely separate cancers. Oh. And uh, he, uh, his was terminal. It was on the brain stem, and he uh, ended up living for, for 10, year, uh, 10 months. Oh. Um, and so that kept us in the States, and I ended up pastoring in, in different places. And then in uh, the son I referred to earlier, uh, when he was 13, he was diagnosed with lymphoma cancer. Oh, man. And, uh, and each of those things happened during critical moves. You know, we were just in, in, in the process of transition. And uh, so I, uh, to answer your question, the evidence of God's grace is just looking back and, and seeing the value of trusting him 
when it seems impossible, when you feel like you can't handle anymore. And, uh, and even the most recent thing we've been going through in the last, uh, last couple of years, uh, I just draw back from that same, uh, testimony of God's faithfulness and, uh, and, and really, really to tie in with what you say, I, I prefer, uh, to lean on him. I prefer to go to him for his embrace. I mean, if we're mad at God, we're detaching ourselves from the very one who can give us the greatest comfort. Yeah. And that's always been vivid to me. I mean, I've, I've had the impulse to fight that mm-hmm. and to argue, uh, but in the end, I, I find beauty in, in trusting Christ, especially when it doesn't make sense. Yeah. And uh, a lot of my ministry, a lot of what I do now is, is out of our own experience, you know, because we, I work a lot with people who are disillusioned and want to give up. And I say, no, don't quit because it's worth trusting Christ. In the end, yeah. you'll be happy that you did. Well, it's a, it's a grace that he held on to you through those ordeals because many people mm-hmm. experience that. They finally say, I can't believe in a God that allows yeah. us. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. It's his grace. Yeah. Exactly. He holds yeah. on to us. Exactly. Yes. Well, thank you, uh, Kenny. Any last uh, comments? Anything you want to add here? This has been a great no, interview. Just, I love I, the I direction just, it went. You know, I, we were going to talk about your dad, but it just encompassed so much. It was it was really beautiful. Well, I'll close with the last line of that little pamphlet I mentioned, which is mm-hmm. this. Remember, when we reflect much on Jesus and his gospel, we will reflect much of Jesus and his yeah. gospel. And to just delight in the gospel, praise and worship him every day as you reflect on, you know, the fact that he has forgiven our sins and drawn us into his arms. Celebrate that and it will be reflected in your life. Yeah. Wonderful. Great way to end. Thank you, Ken. Appreciate it. Thanks so much, much. Mitch. God bless, Mm -hmm. brother. Lord bless you too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, there you have it. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Before You Quit podcast. If you have any questions or comments, you can email me at mitch at beforeyouquit.us. And so until next time, stay encouraged and be courageous because serving Jesus is worth all of that hard stuff that comes with it. And remember what we're told in 1 Corinthians 15, 57 through 58, but thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So until next time, stay encouraged.